I've got a baby rabbit. Congratulations on Pocket Rabbit. Yeah. So Jack brought home, my, my darling husband Jack, brought home a rabbit because he found it in the middle of a footpath, thought it had been left there by a predator, still thinks it was, it's absolutely soaking wet, put it in his pocket so it could die quietly, basically, instead of being eaten by another dog. Um, and it didn't. And so, now you have a baby rabbit. Yeah, you know, I've been looking after a baby rabbit for a few days while trying desperately to find a better home for it because I'm not suited to bringing up a small animal I know nothing about. I've kept it alive thus far. I'm not as optimistic as I was because it's not eaten very well today, but it's being dropped off tomorrow, so cross fingers. Oh, little pocket rabbit. It's a very cute little rabbit. It is. It's adorable, which does make it all a bit easier. Of course, warm in here. Yeah, um, apologies, listeners, for the amount of times my brain stops slash I say the word swampy underboob during this recording, but it's really wow. fucking hot. Love that. Love that yeah. for you. Yeah, love it. This <laughs> It'll is cool the- down a bit, right, though, because it's, it's dark-ish now, and it's at least cooling down at night. That's the nice thing about having a heat wave in September instead of August. True. I love uh, September, like Indian summer evenings. I wrote a poem about them once. You did, um, I'm good. I like that poem. The windows in this room do technically open, but because of where I have stuff in front of them, it's kind of more of a pain than it's worth. No, it's um, like, it, no, it's fine. I'm, I'll, I'll just die. I'm not moving those boxes. It's all right about it. <laughs> yep. I'll get a man in to oh. fan me with a palm frond, but no one's volunteered so far, which I'm uh, oh. quite upset about. What is the world coming to? Yeah. Palm frond based chivalry is dead. Yep. I Sorry, blame feminism. Could. I do too. I don't, I'm just agreeing with you because I'm trying to concentrate on my drink. <laughs> Apologies, listeners, if you can hear Diet Coke cans and ice clinking, but we have to do what we have to do. It's fine. It's uh, foley to, you know, to in- integrate people into our, into our little world. immersion. That's what I mean. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs> How's your week? Uh, it's been okay. It's been fun. I, uh, I launched my Substack finally. That I've you been talking did. about forever. Look at you plugging it. I completely forgot to plug mine. Yeah. But, um, Francine's got one too. Subscribe oh, yeah. to both. Oh, we'll link down below. Yeah. yeah. Prioritise Joanna. She's likely to actually update hers. Um, but Joanna, what's yours called? Two Hats Television. Two Hats Television. And what's this first article about? Uh, it's a two-parter. So the first part's up now. The second part was going to come out today, but it was too hot and everything I wrote turn to mush is a uh, history of <laughs> sorry i just loved it like in the, the static of like a melted article <laughs> it sounds like something that um oh what's his name brian something the the poet uh who does the cool brian Bilston. Five, yeah, yeah yeah that sounds like a brian Bilston thing yeah. yes just think of my work as a dripping ice cream uh but part Making one your... was about writer's strike Yeah, yeah, it's a history of um, Hollywood labour movement, uh, specifically like writers and actors strikes. Uh, So part one covered everything from 1924 to around 2000 and part two is going to talk about 2007 and then what's happening now. Now, now, Joanna, I know a surprising amount about this topic. Yeah, all right. Uh, So uh, this was originally a rabbit hole for Patreon and I decided to write it up into an article. Literally no judgment. That's entirely... Uh, my plan for my next one, but um, yeah, no, it's uh, th- that was me just trying to sneakily plug the Patreon. Actually, yes, uh, we we do little episodes on stuff we're interested in, but don't have time to go on massive tangents. That's right, that's right, listeners. Sometimes we cut short our tangents. Sometimes this is, this is us being controlled and edited occasionally if I have time. <laughs> Unless you're a patron, and then you also get the uncut episodes. <laughs> yeah, because for some reason, some people want that. <laughs> And we appreciate it. But yeah, Indeed. so 
the Substack's going to be about TV history and also like reviews of stuff that's currently on or stuff that was on two weeks ago because I ended up working on a piece about uh, and just like that. I'm very excited because uh, you've been telling me about your planned articles on various topics to do with this for some time. So I'm looking forward to reading them. Now I actually have to write them, Francine. It's horrible. I know. I know. It's terrible. But, you know, you have to get used to it. No. Uh, Yeah, no, this was like, because I kind of let myself zone out a bit for August because like I just wrote a whole fucking book and it's summer and I had a lot of babysitting and stuff and yeah, this was it's fine. It's fine be French yeah it's no <laughs> uh, but yeah this was my week where I was absolutely getting properly back on it like daily yoga again going for a walk every day like putting work in every day and it's 30 fucking degrees outside the tone of voice you say it is like someone planning a last night getting fucking back on it lads we're getting battered we're doing yoga we're going for nice little walks for our fucking mental health yes now I've gone Jeremy Clarkson that's unfortunate I'm sorry Jesus don't do that Francie never go Mer- Jeremy Clarkson Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Completely different subject. Did you listen to that episode of No Such Thing as a Fish with Neil Gaiman? Uh, I haven't listened to it yet. No, I'm like behind on all the podcasts all right. I listen to. Well, I'm so, going to uh... shove it to the top of your to-do list because it's got stuff about uh, like how humans make stories and about the history of beekeeping. So Yeah, right. That's that's yeah, that's yeah. my shit. That's extremely my shit. I'll listen yeah, to that yeah, tomorrow yeah. morning. <laughs> We've still got a book to talk about. Yeah. After a long time away from the Discworld, it feels like. It feels like it's been ages. It, if you it think, has like, been. June was the last Discworld book we did, but that was Science of Discworld. Yeah, it, it's May since we last did a proper, I would call a proper run. Yeah, and even that, that was Hatful of Sky, which like is a great book, but it is one of the younger readers' ones. So I'd say <laughs> it's been like April since we did a a grown-up Discworld book. Yeah, wasn't April another science? Oh yeah, maybe. I don't remember. No, me neither. I don't remember like the first eight months I- of this year. <laughs> No, me neither. <laughs> we need to remember to order thud. That's what we need to do. We do need to order thud. But yeah, before we do that, do you mm. want to make a podcast? Okay, yeah. Let's make a podcast first and then we'll then we'll order the board games. Yeah. Hello and welcome to The True Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. And I'm Francine Carroll. And it's time we're talking about going postal. Oh, yes, we're back on Discworld. The 40 somethings? I've lost. No, 30 somethings. There's only 41 books. 33rd Discworld novel. Yes. I love how you always try to say that without looking it up when you know I've got it written here for the intro. <laughs> yeah, it just adds to our sense of whimsy. Oh, yeah, no. Note on spoilers before we crack on. We are a spoiler light podcast. Obviously, heavy spoilers for the book going postal, uh, but we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series. And of course, we are saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there so you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. Walking at four miles an hour, perpetually, unceasingly, unsleepingly. Which actually sums up how we make this podcast. Uh, <laughs> also, content warning, if you're one of those people that can't stand to hear the word moist, um, grow up. I'm sorry. You're going to have to get over it for this one. Uh, but I've put it in the summary a ton so that we can do some aversion <laughs> therapy. I don't think we've got anything to follow up on. Or if we have, we've forgotten. We have. It's been too, it's been too long. I'm sorry, guys. So, Francine, do you want to do you want to introduce us to the book Going Postal? Certainly. 
So, Going Postal is the 33rd book in the Discworld series. Uh, it was released, uh, in the UK anyway, on the 25th of September 2004. Uh, one of Pratchett's quotes about writing Going Postal was that he doesn't know how it was written because he was on beta blockers for the first half of 2004 and they sat on his brain like a warm flannel, uh, which slowed him down a lot apparently. And yet it's such a good book. The title, Going Postal, for anyone who might not be aware, is a uh, reference to a phenomenon in the US where uh, a few very highly publicised cases of postal workers unfortunately going into their workplace and shooting their colleagues. There is a good You're Wrong About episode about this, isn't there? You're Wrong About. Yeah, I think so. I was about to say, between all the podcasts we both listened to, at least one has done a good episode on the Going Postal phenomenon. Pretty sure it's somewhere in the Michael Hobbs extended universe. But... Obviously, that's the reference, double meaning, because it is about the post office. Uh, one of the characters we'll be talking about is possibly a good example of the, the stereotypical idea of the kind of employee that went postal. It was on the shortlist for both the Nebula and the Lokes Awards, and it would have been shortlisted for the Hugo Awards, uh, except obviously the Hugo Awards stole all those letters out of the sun. No, it's because uh, <laughs> Pratchett withdrew it uh, because he felt that the stress would basically ruin the world con for him, which was the, uh, the the event that was on at the same time. Yeah, he... that's the event where they do the Hugos. Oh, is it? Fantastic. Yeah. I thought that was the case, and then I realised it didn't actually say that in the forum post I was, <laughs> I was looking at. <laughs> but yes, uh, yes, I withdrew going postal. The reason was I wanted to enjoy the Worldcon. It's not been a good 18 months, and I just know that the Japanese meal I had with friends that night did me more good than an evening of suspense. Smiley face, Terry Pratchett. Excellent. And it does sound like I was looking at some of his older posts about it, and it does sound that he was not feeling good about it, like from the start. So I think that was for the best. And I think the 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 one other notable thing I wanted to note before we go into it is that this is a chaptered novel, uh, the first adult chaptered. I love how when we say the adult Discworld novels, it sounds like we're calling them like spicy. I hate that fucking word for raunchy books. Raunchy. Yeah, raunchy. Raunchy is much better, isn't it? Nice woody word. Yeah. <laughs> Spicy's all tinny. Yeah. Caribou. Oh, that's. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to link that sketch now. Sorry. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Nibbling on the croquet hoops. But yes, um, agreed. But I can't think of a better way. Uh, the, the standard Discworld books. Yeah. Um, not aimed at younger readers, but probably still fine for younger readers to read Discworld books. Yeah. And they've got. Interestingly, the cool little, not summary exactly, but foreshadowing, little teaser words, uh, which is very Jules Vernian. Ah, is that, oh. is that someone who did that technique? Yeah. I couldn't think of a good example. I was wondering if there was a word for that. I don't um, know whether Jules Verne was the, the first or even the popular one, but I do know that he did. Fair enough. This is also like one of my favourite Discworld books, and I think it's one of yours as well, and a lot of people's. I think it's the start of a new, like the, the third Discworld era, third and final. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, if we we like rules of threes, we like splitting things into first, middle, and final acts. And I would say this this is Ankh-Morpork pork in the third act. Yes, and it's good fun. It's, I think it's actually quite a good starting point for Discworld, although it's really late mm. on. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a really good introduction to it, and you don't need a ton of context from the previous books. In fact, I, I read it quite early into reading Discworld because it was one that my friend had, mm. and. Uh, it's kind of fun reading it like that. Like, I didn't really know who Vesinari was. I didn't know what they were talking about with a werewolf yeah. in the watch. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's in a similar way to how Vetinari or the Patrician 
was first introduced. It was this this vague matter of state, except now obviously we're much better at it. Yes, um, and I, I think it was a really cool intro and the second instead of the like five endings or there, there might be five endings, he's done the five intros. <laughs> yes, who doesn't have a multiple intro book? Yeah, before I go too far into that, actually, do you want to summarise what happens in this, the first, third, up yes. to and including chapter four? <laughs> yes, part one goes up to and includes chapter four, Francine. <laughs> one time. <laughs> like Never three years ago you. now, two years Never ago. Never <laughs> let you forget it. That's fair. Right, in this section, 9,000 years ago, an anchor almost hits Angamarad. I didn't check if there's a way to pronounce that. One month ago, a klaxman falls. In chapter one, Albert Spangler, also known as Moist von Lipvig, is waiting to be hanged. After autographing the asphyxiation implement, and despite his only crime being moving numbers, he drops and Albert Spangler dies. Lipvig doesn't, however, and finds himself in front of Lord Vetinari being offered an angel and the job of Postmaster General. He takes the job and learns it comes with a parole officer. On a cheap horse, Moist heads out of the city, and after a few tricks he gets his head down. His slumber is rudely interrupted, however, by his parole officer, Mr. Pump the Gollum. After another chat with Mr. Vetinari, Moist goes to Verk. The post office is a bit pigeony and there's only Grote and Stanley to work with. There's piles of letters and Grote has his reasons, but he's not being totally honest. The new clacks are the real competition. Moist learns the history of Mr. Pump and sleeps in the dead letters. Grote reads the regulations and Stanley remembers the chalk outline of the last postmaster. In chapter three, Moist goes out. He learns about pins and buys something pointy and stops to deliver an old letter before popping into the Gollum Trust for a pamphlet and learning that the last postmaster only left a month ago. Meanwhile, Grote visits the rooftop pigeon fanciers to collect the rent. Vetinari is considering the smoking glue and semaphore. He meets with representatives of the Grand Trunk to discuss embezzlement and Deerheart's untimely death. After informing the trunk of the post office, Vetinari quietly orders an obvious investigation of Crispin Horsefry. In chapter four, Moist asks about post, post, past postmasters. I did this to myself. Red lorry, yellow lorry, past postmasters. Post pastmasters and learns of the werewolf in the watch. Stanley has a wobble until Moist produces a pin. He's off to look for a sign with a crowbar. Moist reclaims the post office signage from Hugo's and as they're being hung, he realises he could make a profit. The recipient of the old letter comes by to thank him and invite him to a wedding while a passerby mentions a curse. Oh, mad. <laughs> Grote's been promoted, but Moist is angry. Stanley almost gets violent before a golem intercession and some moral discussion. And meanwhile, over at Tower 181, a message is passed over the overhead. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so helicopter and loincloth watch. Many? Many? Uh, well, I'm giving the overhead helicopter. Sure. It is, it's overhead. So the, the metaphorical m message helicopter. Yes. Got it. Mm -hmm. Helicopter in a bottle. Nice. And for loincloth, I'm going with Groat's definitely not a syrup. Mmm. Yeah, that's probably solid not, enough to be a cloth. It's not covering his loin, but Well, it probably will be by the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Quotes. Do you want to go first? This is quite a long one. I am asking for forgiveness, not permission here, but I really love this bit, so I put it all in. I like how you ask for forgiveness, not permission before you start. <laughs> and there was brass and copper everywhere, polished up like gold. There was balconies, sir, all round the big hall on every floor, made of iron like lace. And all the counters were made of rare wood, my dad said. 
and people. This place was packed. The doors never stopped swinging, even at night. Oh, at night, sir. Out in the big backyard, you should have been there. The lights, the coaches coming and going, the horses steaming. Oh, sir, you should have seen it, sir. The men running the teams out. They had this thing, sir, this device. You could get a coach in and out of the yard in one minute, sir. One minute. The bustle, sir. The bustle and fuss. They said you could come from Dolly Sisters or even down in the shambles and post a letter to yourself and you'd have to run like the blazes, sir. The very blazes to beat the postman to your door. And the uniform, sir. Royal blue with brass buttons. You should have seen them. I just love that moment so much. Yeah, it's great. I love how you can equally effectively see the post office as Grote is describing it and Grote describing it. Yes. And there's something so wistful and so adoring Mm. in him. Yeah, yeah. (sighs) Uh, Mine's equally long, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Uh, See a pin and pick it up and all day long you'll have a pin. True words never spoken. Yes. Um, I was going to pick that anyway, but it's, it's double interesting because I'd always assumed that was a Pratchett original. Uh, mm-hmm. But apparently it, it, it's, it, it was around for a while beforehand. Uh, Pratchett said he first heard it in a stage show when he was about eight um, and just thought it was a perfectly normal saying, if a bit dull. <laughs> and then he'd, he'd heard it a bit later, Kenneth Williams, uh, Anthony Newley, all that stuff. But, I love that. Hmm. That also comes in just a bit I really like, which is Stanley talking about how people get into pin collecting and the mm. true joy of finding one in the street or mm. something. Or, and, and as someone who is a nerd and collects things, like that's very relatable. Magpie vibes. Well, it's like I, I, one of the things I collect is like first edition Terry Pratchett books, and uh, I often find those in the street <laughs> right between in the, the cobblestones. <laughs> I've never found one in a cobblestone, but I, I well, hold out it's paved up your way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I could go on like eight books or something, and I could just order the ones I don't have. But the fun yeah, is like that's... finding them at the back of a dusty oh, bookshop. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't even collect. Uh, I don't collect first editions like that or anything. But um, I have a similar feeling just finding odd, odd books. Yes, you know the kind of stuff we always buy for each other. Yeah. Huh. Yes, seeking those out online is not the same as going and no. rummaging around a, a bookshop and, and finding one on the corner Dang of it. a shelf somewhere. Oh. Anyway, uh, so let's let's dive into the characters. Shall we start with Moist? Sure thing. Mr. Von Lipvig. Oh, are we starting with Spangler? Well, yeah, I guess technically we yeah. start with Spangler. R.I.P. F5 in the chat. Yeah, uh, he's dead now. Lipvig, obviously a bit Litwiggy. Uh, which is a moustache. Very good for a con man. Yes. When we um, dressed up as Discworld characters for Halloween, I was Moist von Litvig, uh, so I wore a false moustache that was mildly damp from the beer I was drinking, and that was my moist lip wig. Yeah. What a I was night. really proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a night. Anyway, sorry. Um, named Moist von Litvig by doting, if unwise, parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something that Dorabel says later on um, about the town of Lipvig actually makes me think that I, I know we talked before about the the von being the the nobility thing, and it looks like Moist von Lipvig is a from aristocratic stock. There's something I really like actually is that we never really get a backstory for him. We yeah, don't get like some good. tragic upbringing or anything. He's just mm. there. He is very good at being a Kong man, and it's completely acceptable. Mm-hmm. And something I love about this book in in general is how quickly like Terry Pratchett establishes these really three dimensional mm. characters. It's not like he's been bad at it before, but I think it just really shines in this book. Yeah, absolutely. And 
it's considering quite a few of like Litvig's traits could be uh, compared to Rincewinds, for example, like when he's talking, uh, you know, his various techniques for just running off yeah. being better than anything else. Um, it, he really doesn't feel like, um, oh, how, how do you always put it, uh, a, an echo of a copy paster? Yeah. Um, another um, iteration of a previous character anyway. He's he's not a um, Tepic or a... He's not a new character played by the same yeah. actor. Thank you, yeah. I did say when we back when we were talking about the truth that I felt like there was kind of some inklings of another character in there and I was talking about this book and Moise von Litvig. I don't think mm. like William de Word is a precursor to Moise von Litvig and stuff, but it felt like the truth kind of tests the waters for this book. It's a bit of a warm up to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. William de Word's maybe got some of the same instincts. Yeah. Just in a Not very different drive. direction. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the word we know comes from nobility. We don't have anything like that mm. with von Lipvig apart from the von. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit with both of them learning about there being a werewolf in the watch. Oh, yeah. Which mm. is a fun just thing to carry over. But yeah, just the little details you get of his character early on, like um, the fact that he gave all the prison guards fruit baskets. Yes, yeah. <laughs> not the same ones. With steak and the pineapple off, you never know what's underneath. <laughs> Lovely little forest comfort. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely a, he's a people pleaser. He knows he knows what he's doing. Yeah, and he quotes Shakespeare as he uh, as he falls. His last words were, "I commend my soul to any god that can find it," which is a um, what is it? I, I commend my soul into the hands of God, my Creator, which is um, from Shakespeare's will. Yeah, which is a nice little, very Pratchettian twist on that one, I would say. Yes, and a nice little foreshadow. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Smoking glues all over the <laughs> shop. <laughs> Are we going to have to establish how we say GNU? Because I, I... I'm just going to say GNU. Okay, good. I wasn't yeah, sure. I'm not going to try and say new. Smoking new. No. <laughs> Sounds terrible. The, the joke works better written down. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I, I... Yeah, fuck. It's really hard because I know the character so well. And that's weird to say because we do all of them. But maybe that's the point of this character, isn't it? Is that he is established as this, you know, I exist. I am the status quo. Yeah. I, I am. He, he is average. He's not he's, very tall or very about... short. Or Yeah. <laughs> I love the moments when he goes out and he's obviously completely undisguised. He is Moise von Litvig. Um, he felt as though he'd stepped out naked and he'd never mm. really had to be himself before. Mm, yeah. And it's interesting because at that point he's not having to act any differently. All the thing, it, it's just that he doesn't have an immediate backstory prepared. Yeah. So it's like he's he's not um, character acting. Oh, what's what's the word for that? Uh, when method when he, acting. When he, method acting. Thank you. Um, oh dear, my brain. <laughs> <laughs> There's something really charming about his character as well because we're seeing his internal monologue, and obviously, like the idea mm. is he's kind of charming. He's a con man. Con men are charming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love stories about charming con men. But it's the fact that we're seeing his inner monologue as he's trying to work out if there's a con there and what to do with it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And there's something, I don't know, like vulnerable about that that makes him extra charming. Yeah, definitely. I like that. Right, we're going to talk about him more as we go along, I think. Um, yeah, we will. Should we go on to his uh, new boss? Vetinari. Not as charming. No. But, describe uh, Vesinari a lot of ways, but I'm not sure I call him charming. I think he'd be offended if you did. Um, def- uh, 
Dignified. Refined. Dignified. Chivvies along the hanging. Yes. Yes. I think I, I like in this book, I feel like Vetinari gets just a little bit more personality. Yeah. He's definitely come in with the full knowledge he's reversing that trope. Of, yes. Um, or, or undermining the trope of uh, the last second reprieve from being hanged. And yet it turns out it was just a few seconds after the last second reprieve from being hanged. Yeah. Double he's, bluff. He's being a little shit there and I support it, but it's kind of fun to see Vetinari. Like seeing some of the kind of machinations, like there's a bit where Drumnut's agonising over improper folders and he's had to bulk them out with uh, with like mm-hmm. pig research. And it's a nice little behind the scenes moment of what Vetinari does to upset people. I reckon that this this book was probably the start of the, the Drumnut standing. Yeah. Hey, I've been standing Drumnut for a long time. I've been a devoted Drumnut stand. You have. But this particular exchange you can see was the start of many a Tumblr yeah. obsession. I also still stand by my completely unjustified headcanon that Drumlot is secretly a slag, because no one can stop me. Sure, go for it, man. Yep, slutty Drumlot. <laughs> I'm sure there's fan fiction, I don't want to read it. No, you don't. <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, so, um, yes, I, I, I enjoy Drumlot's extra personality as well. I know we've been building up to it for a little bit, but it's it's very... It's nice to just It really does matter to him. It does matter. When Vasanari gets very philosophical like later on and Drumnot says, I always thought filing boxes could be less flimsy. Yes. And I think, you know, Vasanari needs that energy. But I think there's also a fun bit of uh, of taking bits literally, the, the moist duster. If you stick a broom up my arse, I could probably sweep the floor too. And so Vasanari takes it literally and then Drumnot starts taking it literally too. And he's not that naive and stupid. No, no, he can, he can he can jump on board the thought experiment for the sake of a bit of psychological torture. Exactly. I do enjoy Vetinari's just taking things literally trick. It's such an asshole move. It is, and it's very fun to read. It's horrible in person. Oh, God. Um, and then uh, rocketing back down the ranks, Mr. we Pump. have a Mr. Pump. Um, I, I really love in his intro bit the it's lip vig, it's a V not a W, taking it literally up viget, Mr. Lipvig. <laughs> Especially if you imagine that in like a golem voice. Now Mr. Pump is still an owned golem, isn't he? Is he? Yeah. So or is he ex- just an employed golem? I think from what I understand, he like belongs to the Golem Trust and is on hire to the government. Right. And the Golem Trust, like, save up and buy Golems. Yes. Yes. I Yes. I wasn't sure if that had happened for him yet, because he's got Vetinari's words in his head, which seems very personal for a... For a freed Golem, yeah. yeah. But I suppose I mean, you'd make well, exceptions. This is the first time we've really had, like, Golem stuff since Feet of Clay, and in Feet mm. of Clay it was owning themselves that gave them the ability to speak, so I don't know where we are with that. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, We're allowed so- to retcon a bit. It's been several books. Yeah, I feel like he's some, but it's quite nice. Um, the explanation of basically everything that's been happening with Gollum since Feet of Frey is like Feet of Clay. Uh, but now the Gollums were freeing themselves. It was the quietest, most socially responsible revolution in history. They were property, so they saved up and bought themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very nice, A, how quickly it's handled. Yep, that's what they've been doing. I like that it's been kind of. Um percolating in Pratchett's mind for a few years here. He's like, yeah. I've got to tie up that loose end. Yeah, what can I do with these guys? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really like as well, I know we haven't got to Adora yet, but when uh, Moist goes to the Gollum Trust and he's like, we call him Mr. Pump. Oh, do you feel good about that, do you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and goes on to the rant about the patronising language and how it just, it doesn't help. 
and completely unwarranted in this case. Yes. <laughs> um, I've definitely seen a lot of similar conversations about like, how do we definitely address, you know, this group of people or that group of people and that group of people being like, yeah, we're gonna, can we have some legal rights? Can I like rub our yeah. fingers together instead of clapping? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, maybe that's not important yeah. <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> or um, on, on the other hand, of course, that's an overreported phenomenon. Uh, oh, yeah. Very focused much on so. instead of actual issues. Things. Yes, 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 yes. But yeah, um, I can definitely see why a doorbell snapped and I can definitely see feeling very stupid after doing so and realising the person in front of you was literally just like, what? I don't give a fuck. I just... Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 you've got me wrong. I'm not overcompensating. I don't care at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just correcting you. <laughs> um, and this idea of by our own hand or none, I like that there's like a very strong sense of pride within that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you definitely. That's definitely like an extension of the uh, of the feet of clay stuff as well, wasn't it? Yeah, they all of that to... mad writing in the basement. And the... Yeah, and this is sort of what they came down to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it. So, junior talking mad wrote. writing in the basement. Yeah, I feel like that's junior postman group. It is. It absolutely is. What well, he's uh, promoted now, isn't he? Well, I'm sorry. Yes, of course he is. Of course, um, pro- on probation. On probation. I, I really like one of. This is a little bit after we meet him, but I just feel like it really sums up the idea, uh, the quote saying that uh, he, Moist, felt that sense of shifting ground you experience when you realise that you're dealing with someone whose world is connected with your own only by their fingertips. Yeah, and it says after that that Groat is not so much like a hermit, like a shipwrecked mariner mm-hmm. living in this dry desert of a building while the world outside moves on and all sanity evaporates. <laughs> ah, sanity evaporates from the sea. What is the salt? The salt of insanity. Ooh, the salt of insanity to go in our tincture of the night. Perfect. Perfect. Beautiful. <laughs> um, I also just like the description, a beard of the short bristled type that suggested that its owner had been interrupted halfway through eating a hedgehog. Yes. <laughs> Very uh, uh, evocative. <laughs> but I love his character. You know, I picked that quote for a reason. I love how, how in love with this idea of a proud post office he is. Mm. His, like, his tearful gratitude to Moist when he insists on staying on this. You know, this was a great place once we were yeah. postmen. Yeah. Oh, not a sin, sir. Not, not a sin worse than a sin. It was against regulations. <laughs> And his devotion to these regulations and like, yeah, no, the building's falling apart, but the inkwells are full and the lanterns are on. Yeah. So where's my thank you? Yeah. What do you fucking want? <laughs> and the care he shows over Stanley. And you get the feeling it's not just because he doesn't want Stanley to brain somebody. It's, you know, he cares about him. Yeah. In a very, very divided way. The the description of the divided locker room as a setup for Stanley's introduction. I know, it's amazing. And the salt. In the demilitarised yeah, zone. Absolutely perfect. Um, oh. And the bit that goes right into Stanley, unless one of the scraps of paper from the grubby side was a funny shape, it seemed that somebody with care and precision and presumably a razor blade had <laughs> cut off the corner of it, which had gone too far. And I love that. I, and I also like that you're never made to have some kind of flashback about the huge argument that caused it. It's much funnier no. if you just imagine it. And it's very funny that both of them are very happy with Stanley just cutting off the edges of the rubbish. <laughs> yep, that is the acceptable way to do it. So yes, yeah, Stanley, who was raised by peas, which is a line that never stops me from like gut-wrenching laughter. Oh, see, it's the, the family died of gnats for me. <laughs> Especially as we get it again later. 
I think it's because it's the comedy thing that like I know you and I both do it as well where you sort of start off something really normal and then you start as deadpan as you can throwing in more and more ridiculous ones like you know old Susan from next door she drives a Toyota she summons Belshamaroth on the weekend she's got new highlights yeah it's fun yeah like uh, like the senior wranglers auntie dying of pineapples as well (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, poor senior wranglers auntie right and um, yeah his head was all over the wall all over the pins that bit, I thought, well, again, as, as always, Pratchett, perfect bring down from the tension with a meaningful moment as well, not a random little whatever. Um, yeah. But that was definitely a bringing home to me, like, what horror vibes this book has, which maybe I haven't concentrated on before. Um, like, obviously, there's the, the writing in the night and there's, um, like, the, the, the sleepless pursuer, the golem figure and all of that. But that that moment of there is abs all over the wall screaming like you can see that in a horror movie yeah as the the bit of reluctant exposition uh oh reluctant exposition good band name oh yeah <laughs> but yeah i i think that the like pace of the reveal as well is very good in this one it is i think it it's, doesn't dump it no it gives it to you slowly it spreads it out and then it's yeah much like his head all over so <laughs> And not like Mr. Mutable, which who thudded on the floor all in one go. Yeah, exactly. Like God, one of he's practice. so clever. It works on so many levels. <laughs> uh, sorry, oh so many levels. <laughs> oh fucking hell, Joanna! Right, one scene. <laughs> Can Stop we me. please talk about my girlfriend, Adorable Deerheart? Yes, please tell me all about your girlfriend, Adorable Deerheart. Well, we're in love. I'm thinking an October wedding, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. On an oct day. On an oct day. Yes. Um, no, I love her. She's one of my favourite characters. I've been really looking forward to getting to this book to talk about her, the woman who smoked a cigarette as if she had a grudge against it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There is, um, I think we've said we're not going to talk about the adaptation until uh, Christmas, but she's mm. played by Claire Foy in the adaptation and I think it's actually really perfect casting. See, I still feel like maybe this could be our cosplay of her. If you want to be a Dorabelle Deerheart, I'll happily be Moist von Litvig. Yeah, but again, I also want to be Moist von Litvig. I'm wondering if I could, like, Victor Victoria it. Ah, uh, yeah. The, the the thing is, Joanna, the thing is, I don't think I can ever wear a Victorian-style skirt. So maybe yeah, no, you can do fair. half and half. That's what that's what I meant by Victor Victoria. So oh, I like see, I'm sorry. Oh, half-half that way. Yeah, no, I yeah. was thinking a bit more sane. Yeah. Oh, were you thinking, like, top and bottom half? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, God, no. Also, the reference that works for me is the Dean from Community. Because <laughs> I have uncultured swine. I have to go to the bank today. <laughs> I've just gone too far this time. <laughs> Ring-a-ding-ding. Anyway, deaning on. Uh... Do you want to know how often I sing the come on, I'm Dean, and my hands are so clean while I'm washing my hands? Oh, hopefully every time. <laughs> anyway, right, God, Adora Bell Deerheart smokes a cigarette like she's got a grudge against it. Um, lidded, what is it? there's a definite feel about Adora Bell Deerheart that a lid was only barely holding down an entire woman full of anger. Absolutely. And it would have been the lazy option to call her Pandora. Although we have had a Pandora, of course. We have had a Pandora. Um, but um, I love the, yeah, just giving her the boy named Sue type thing. Yes. Um, I, no, I just I really like the character. Spit in your eye. I really like the character. I love the barely contained fury. I like the immediate disdain of Moist and him immediately being attracted to her because I like that sort of thing. 
Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Every time. Uh, yep. Fucking crazy ex-girlfriend Greg falling in love with um, Rebecca. Yep. Just fucking exactly. fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't listening. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about her more in the next couple of sections because she's not actually in this one for very long, but yeah, I can't not no. mention my girlfriend. I'm no. really looking forward. Uh, she eventually. And, anyway. And again, as you say, it takes very little time to get an idea of who she is. Yeah. Even though we don't have, we will get some more of her backstory and we don't have a lot of it now, but you already get the fact she's massively overworked in this reasonably selfless uh, position that she's in. Um, she's sick of everyone being a patronizing asshole and not doing anything about it. Yeah. Uh, she's got a massive chip on her shoulder because of her name. Uh, <laughs> also, her brother's dead. Or also a family member dead. is dead. Mm. Like, yeah. It doesn't. It's not spelled out, but the names are there. Um, Right, the Grand Trunk Group. Again, we'll talk about these a bit more when we get into the later sections, but I can't ignore them. And there's some really fun bits in this meeting they have with Vesinari. Mr. Slant's representing them, so you know shady shit's happening. Uh Uh-huh. Mr. Slant is not... motif. Yeah, he's never representing the good guys. No. Uh, I but like. An, I like how he's a known entity of a villain as well. Yeah. Like he and Slant, uh, he and Vitnari have like a mutual understanding. Yes, absolutely. Um, of we both do not approve of each other and entirely know what the what, what the other is going to say next, and we will both run this joint forever. <laughs> and I love. Uh, Mr. Gilt's introduction, Reacher Gilt, immediately just not toadying to Vetinari, like mm. calling him out, you don't come to my parties, all work and no play. Just slightly yeah. less deferent than the other ones. Yeah, and although in a similar way to Horse Fry, he gets that moment of everybody else going, um, he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't yes. notice that he's suddenly very far away from his colleagues. Uh- <laughs> Well, I think he does notice. I don't think he cares. Mm, that's He's, true, yeah. It's feels probably a bit desired effect. Yeah. We've also got the utter uselessness of humanity that is Crispin Horsefry. Crispin. It's never going to work, is it? Not someone called Crispin Horsefry. I love the moment when Crispin's been um, kind of dumb about this this game that they're talking about, the Vestinari's playing, which, funny enough, is like also called Thud, and there's a book called that that we're going to yeah. talk about. Yeah, anyway. Right. Huh. Um He's being really stupid about it, and Vesinari and Gilt explain a look, exchange a look. While I loathe you in every aspect of your personal philosophy to a depth unplumbable by any line, I'll credit you at least with not being Crispin Horsefry. Which I must try and remember. Even if it's just the last bit, just, I'll credit you at least with not being Crispin Horsefry, but you're on my last fucking nerve. <laughs> it's the way it's not said out loud. I need to work out how to convey that in a look. I think you can. Yeah. I, th- just- I think I, I could with you. But I feel you like don't, if we you, needed you don't to side out me each in every other. aspect of my personal uh, philosophy to adapt unplumbable by every line, of course. Not that you know of. No, I don't. No. I love you deeply. No, thank you. Good. <laughs> I was trying to think of something funny in response, but I'd sound very defensive. <laughs> if I went against your personal philosophies, I would probably be a really shit human. I mean, I am, but for like different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's uh, fair. <laughs> Speaking of being shit humans. Yeah, so it sets up exactly what this group has done to financially fuck with the clacks. Mm. Uh, which is a very nice setup for what comes throughout the rest of the book. Yeah, it's it, it's again kind of echoes of previous books with like the um oh guards guards uh guards guards dragon yeah yeah guards guards dragon and men at arms probably as well just the sh- the shadowy aristocrats but now it's corporate 
Yeah, it's gone. It's gone to the corporate CEO style, but it's still kind of bureaucracy as a villain. Yeah, yeah. We do like I- bureaucracy as a villain. Yeah. This time they're not trying to lock Vetinari away for the whole time because it's yeah. legal. They don't need to. <gasps> what a fun development. <laughs> And then there's a few really good side characters, which is this thing we've been talking about. He sets mm-hmm. up these characters so well in a couple of sentences. We've got Wilkinson, the guard, mm-hmm. who's just immediately so supportive of and thankful for the fruit baskets and explains occupational therapy. We've got Daniel, one drop trooper, who wants him to sign the rope and is very proud of being good at his job. And that, I love a charming executioner. I think because I've been watching Disenchantment recently and Noel Fielding voices the executioner in that and he's quite a nice character. Oh, cool. I've been um, watching Taskmaster still, and uh, I'm on the series with Noel Fielding. Ah, nice. He's such a charmer. He is. I love him. Um, but I think there's just something, you can immediately, like a couple of sentences with uh, Daniel Wonderop Trooper, and you're like, oh, I know this guy, and I bet mm. he has a lovely time, and he goes home, and he tells the wife what a good job he did at work today, and he sort of puts his feet up and has his cup of tea. Absolutely. Yep. We know him from TV and real life. He's a very exactly. good, realistic trope. Um, and you've got the lads up in the loft as well with beards and saying yeah. funny things to each other. Uh, wood, woodpeckers. Yeah, um, which, which is, is another good foreshadowing. Yeah, tap, tap, tap. I actually I put my obscure reference, first of all, as the stuff the woodpeckers were talking about. Mm-hmm. No, not the woodpeckers specifically, the, the but like the canoe people, and I yeah. was going to look into what they were on about as well. I've not done that. But uh, I will say now, the discworld.fandom.com website has done a really good list of like all the various like clax uh, jargon that's throughout. Oh, so cool. I'm going to link to that for everybody rather than trying to read it all out because that'll be dull. So locations. Locations. We've got a deep sea bit. You know, I fucking love a bit of deep sea. Under the sea. Under the, da, under the sea. Da, 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 da. Sometimes an anchor drops all the... No, that doesn't scan. <laughs> I was trying to think of uh, um, a rhyme for moisture. <laughs> Oyster. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah. Darling, it's Darling moister. Oysters. Down there Darling where there's oysters. Oysters. <laughs> Take it from me. <laughs> All right. The heat has addled to somewhat listeners, but we'll get through somewhat. this. Somewhat listeners. <laughs> um, what's the actual quote? I know. Sometimes an anchor drops all the way to the dark, cold calmness of the abyssal plain and disturbs the stillness of the centuries by throwing up a cloud of silt. <laughs> and The whole uh, the undersea current uh of salt is that of, of like uh like that deep that is that thing yeah i think so oh, cool we should look that up that sounds fun yeah i i didn't start looking up under the sea stuff on the basis no, that good. it was well, then. yeah <laughs> jo- jo- sorry for anyone who doesn't know listeners joanna is extremely into deep sea stuff and would not have come out of that particular rabbit hole in time for the episode so she made the right choice yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the post office. Gonna. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, give me a whale fall. I want to go see a whale fall first. <laughs> so badly, you have no idea. Um, whale right. fall, excellent band name. <laughs> the post office. Yeah. Uh, which declares on the front neither rain nor snow nor glom of knit, etc. Which we've, we've, we've seen before. They mentioned the glom of knit many books ago, or at least one or two. I think so. Um, and then obviously don't ask about Mrs. Cake. I really want to know what Mrs. Cake specifically did to the post office. Have you got where the glom of Nick comes from, by the way? Yes, I have. Uh, So this is kind of the informal US Postal Service motto. Mm. Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Uh, So the reason it became this informal motto is because it is on the building for the New York Post Office. The architect put it there. The actual 
passage quote itself comes from is a passage from a translation of Herodotus's histories, Herodotus. specifically uh, Her- Herodotus. I'm never going to say it right. No, I love it. I like that yeah. better. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, specifically, the translation was George Herbert Palmer describing the courier service of the ancient Persian Empire. Uh, it said that as many days as there are in the whole journey, so many are the men and horses that stand along the road, each horse and man at the interval of a day's journey. And these are stayed neither by snow nor rain nor heat nor darkness from accomplishing their appointed course with all speed. Hmm. Uh, but my favourite bit, I got this from the Wikipedia page for this like informal motto. Oh, This slogan is not a formal commitment. And in fact, the USPS may delay mail during bad weather. With, like, a fuck-ton of citations. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the most passive-aggressive Wikipedia sentence I have ever seen. You can imagine every editor adding a citation whenever they have their post yeah. delayed. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, I love the descriptions of the post office. Incredibly evocative descriptions of pigeon-encrusted piles. Mm, yeah. Um, it's very... Oh, God, you really can see it, can't you? Um, anyone who's been around... a a long abandoned building has a vague idea although obviously i've never seen anything quite that covered in paper no uh there's a great line about the letters everywhere the sorting room almost as big as the main hall had drifts reaching to 20 feet in places here and there (sighs) filing cabinets rose out of the paper sea like icebergs god what a line fucking nightmare isn't it (laughs) oh yeah no i mean it stresses me out if i think about it for too long (laughs) Um, and then where else we got we we go to dave's pin exchange Mm, yeah. Now that this gives me very um uh Pratchett's old the the place he used to go to get his sci-fi comic books vibe. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. Ah. Um uh the describing the guys in there, they looks they look a bit like Stanley. They were all male. Clearly women weren't natural pinheads. <laughs> I felt this is kind of a love letter to those weird little bookshops of, of Pratchett's youth, and I think also mm-hmm. kind of a loving ribbing of like the Kevins. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, he's talking about, you know, the place he used to get sci-fi comics from was also mainly a purveyor of uh, adult materials. Yes. And by adult, I don't mean uh, books without chapters. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in in this case, uh, Dave is, you know, a little, they bit, are holding a little bit reluctant to say, oh, you want, you want the under-the-counter stuff, do you? All right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have nails in here. We get kiddies in here. <laughs> I fucking love it. Like, like I said with the Stanley, but it's 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 taking the piss, but in a really loving way. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he was that way about stuff too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, lastly, we have Tower One Eight One and Princess Roger and Grandad, which mm. I'll talk about. Like, what happens in the tower a bit more later. But God, it's just really beautiful and such a really mm. good visceral description of what the Clax has become because it's been kind of an abstract concept. Before now, we had like the mini versions of it where you have like uh, gargoyles using semaphore and stuff yeah. like that. And then we had the idea of it as a political tool. That was the reason that Ankh Morpork got involved in the war and Monstrous Regiment is because of the Clax Towers. Well, we had uh, quite a lot of it in um, um, the werewolf one as well, the fifth elephant. Fifth elephant, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, it's really, it, it is a really nice concept we've seen develop over, you know, years and. Yeah, on podcast time, uh, <laughs> and being in like a living Clax Tower as opposed to like the Clax Tower they briefly go in a monstrous regiment mm. and seeing how it becomes a lifestyle. Yeah, it's kind of like um, you get the idea. Of, it, it seems like a mix of like early computer hacker tech nerd uh, vibes and like lighthouse keeper, you know? Yeah, or like oil rigs. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That sense um, of like uh, communal isolation. Yeah, that makes you. And even like shepherding huts things, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of like, it feels so real. I feel like you must be thinking of something specific, you know, where the kids would go and help, like maybe fishing vessel. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it, it's something that's got an accessibility mm. to it. So not mm. like an oil rig where you need to like get onto the mm. oil rig, but something that you could physically walk up to. Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, tip of my brain. It'll come back. Yes. Right. Uh, little bits we liked. What do we like? What do we, we like? like? What do you like? We, we like, like things similes. that are like things. Mm-hmm. Um, as usual, Pratchett has put some beautiful similes in here. So I pick out a couple of my favourites. Uh, we've got, well, I'll start with a. He inhabited the post office like a very small snail in a very large shell. <laughs> very cute, I thought. Uh, to the slightly more poetic. Uh, the light was shining through the outer glass filled with water so that the candle would go out if it was dropped. It made the lanterns look like the lights of some abyssal fish from the squiddy iron hard depths. Ooh, lovely. And uh, then back to the mollusk, now moist felt like a peeled prawn. That's such a good line. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a, a, a little, a little, little one. There's also um, just some really fun, like, just two fun words together or oh, yeah. really brilliant little turns of phrase. Uh, devious cartography. Yes, I had that down. It sounds like a Lanka name. Yeah, it does a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> Bestiality Carter's cousin. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's Vesinari's Sisal's two-step as opposed to the Hemp Fandango. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just a sentence I deeply love and have been just sort of saying to myself all week. Aggie wants to buy fripperies. <laughs> Aggie wants to buy fripperies. I'm not going to argue. <laughs> yeah. Let Aggie buy as many fripperies as she likes, goddammit. Absolutely. Oh, I want to buy some fripperies. I might, I might purchase a frippery or two tomorrow. A, because little treats, and B, because it sounds a little bit like ice cream. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to use the excuse that I want to buy fripperies to get an iced caramel macchiato tomorrow. Mm, That's going to be good. Yum. A frappery. A frappery. <laughs> a frappuccino frappery. Um, roads. Roads, yes. Um, there are many. They diverge in the yellow wood. Uh, <laughs> How many must a man walk down fronts in? Oh, several. They all lead to Rome, anyway. He stood in the little square where eight roads met and chose to go home via Market Street. It was as good a way as any other which I thought was a wonderful visual metaphor, especially as it came um, on the tail end of some some uh, existential crises about, you know, can you change things in the universe and the letters and all of that? Um, but yes, this was very, eight, eight, eight roads diverge in a little square. Yes. Um, and I the significance of nice. eight in Discworld as well. Oh, yes, of course, yes. And the- I learned something about Sattel Square that I'm not sure if we ever put into the podcast but i saw somebody on facebook post it today it's a unique word square the square is formed by the five latin words sator arepo tenet opera and rotors and so it's all like a uh, palindromic um and it, people are very excited by it and there was one in pompeii oh marvelous yeah that's also cool. the, known as the templar magic square excellent yeah but yes eight roads diverging in a square is quite nice as well because like normally it would be four Usually, yeah, usually, yeah. So you're thinking about all the different yeah. what's-its and how's. What's-its and how's is all I think about. Yeah, what's-its and how's, my favourite crime-fighting duo. Anyway, um, <laughs> Swalk. 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 Sealed with a loving kiss. I always loved that. I, I always it. thought I it was beautiful. nice. 
Um, uh, the the Discworld uh, fandom thing again. Actually, I found a couple of um, uh, Roundworld alternatives on there. I'm sure there's loads more. But um, so Holland, hope our love lasts and never dies. Uh, Italy, I'll truly always love you. And Norwich, Nick is off, ready when I come home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Pratchett leads it up to the reader to come up with an appropriate saying for Lanka and Clatch. I was wondering, are you up to the challenge? <laughs> Off the top of my head, probably yeah, not. I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> see me later. <laughs> Listeners, send in your best. Yes. Yes. Good idea. <laughs> yeah. Do our work for us. <laughs> I'm always torn between like SWALK, Seal with a Love and Kiss, sounds like beautiful and romantic, and uh, Swalk is really funny. Swalk. But I like that. I like that about <laughs> it. Swalk sounds like the noise a flamingo would make if it tried to walk anywhere. Yes. And then it falls over. We've also got the Dimwell arrhythmic rhyming slang. Which is just perfect. <laughs> beautiful. Well, there are various rhyming slangs across the universe. The Dimwell Street rhyming slang is unique in that it doesn't rhyme. Uh, the theories are, it's quite complex and in fact follows in rules, or Dimwell is well named, or it's made up to annoy strangers, which is the case of most such slangs. Do, do, do you have the, the Roundwell equivalents for your your, your prunes? <laughs> Uh, I can't think of any now because, like, we, we actually had a whole conversation about rhyming slang in the Discord the other day. We were trying to come up with alternative ones in ChatGPT. Actually, yeah, the alternatives, as far as Discworld goes, is ask ChatGPT to come up with rhyming slang for you. Because it's very funny. It yeah. can't do it. It doesn't know how. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the specific one in Dimwell rhyming slang, syrup of prunes means wig. Oh, it's syrup of figs, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, apostrophes. <laughs> Hard to pronounce exactly how wrong this is. Um, it's not as easy as carrots, random commas. <laughs> um, it's actually it's an actual thing, though. The green ghost, the green grocer's apostrophe. Yes. The uh, random apostrophe p p put into plurals where they don't need to, but Pratchett has taken it to an art form in this and thrown them in every which way. Yes, in in his uh, his r running bit of people can pronounce pronounce can pronounce punctuation weren't adequately provoked. High class of fruit and vegetables. Mm. Oh, that's pretty good, yeah. I could hear yeah. you got the punctuation wrong in that. <laughs> but I like that it then gets paid off with Hugo's not having an apostrophe because there wasn't one to nick from the post office sign. Absolutely. There's a fun little connection there. <laughs> I also like that it's like a, a just a family trait that you stick apostrophes everywhere. Yeah. And it's in fripperies. It is in fripperies. <laughs> What, uh, what does Zaki want to buy for Fripperous apostrophes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, should we go on to the bigger stuff? Oh, yeah, sure. God, we're being efficient. I say that. We've gone on so many tangents. Uh, <laughs> no, we're fucking But we actually had little bits today, so it's all worked out okay. Um, <laughs> You've no idea how much I cut from that. Otherwise, oh, I would have just read aloud God, the entire book. God, yeah. I've got so many fucking notes on this one. Way more than most. I think maybe Nightwatch was a contender, but for different reasons, obviously. Yeah, I mean, Monstrous Regiment for me, but most of those notes were just, this is really gender. Yeah. I, I, I think, like, the fun thing about this part of the book, and this book in general, actually, because it doesn't go all the way into it like it might, is the the kind of setup for the things that Pratchett is really fucking pissed off about at the moment, or in general, or has been for years, whatever. Um, the obvious one is the privatisation of... Uh, you know, things like uh, BT. Yeah. Um, years later, the post office 
Yeah. Uh, which has gone pretty much the same fucking way, which is a fun little parallel in real yep. life there. And this it, it ties in very well, I think, to another fun little thing that Pratchett hates and hasn't really had a chance to go into properly yet. But this financial and corporate law bollocks, this kind of... Um, hiding behind shell companies and directorships switching around and and, and all, all these clever little accounting tricks and clever little legal corporate law tricks that mean that these awful fucking things you're doing are actually perfectly legal and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Um, it's It's worse in America than it is here, but it's quite bad here as well. You, yeah. you see this kind of stuff, uh, the, the awful lot of it going around with the, the you know, the, the obvious examples, the cronyism with the PPE and everything over the yeah, pandemic. Um, a very recent, um, you know, less less big, less big, less big example. What's the word for that? <laughs> smaller. <laughs> a sm- a, yeah, smaller scale, but a larger heart, let's say. Uh, the Crooked House pub, which was... Um, uh, Wait, how sued can I get? Which, which was definitely arsoned, at least as being uh, investigated for arson. And there are some interesting connections with the people who owned it. And I had a very, uh, fun's not the right word, I had an evening digging through the various di- direct dictatorships, I say, no, directorships and, and little corporations they've all been involved in for the last yeah. uh, decade or two, which uh, is something... If I were paid to write about, I probably would have fucking ki- kicked myself for starting because it's awful. Um, yeah. Oh God, I, I hate, <laughs> I hate it on many levels, and I feel like I'm trying to bring it back to the podcast rather than just a rant here. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I feel that coming very much from the book as well. Yes. And that they they just make it so that the common person doesn't have a fucking chance. Yeah. Um, whether that's just because nobody can be expected to understand the ins and outs of corporate law unless it's making them a very large and immoral profit, um, whether that's because before the game even started, you were handicapped and didn't know it um, because you just didn't didn't have the money. And uh, I just I really like the way he explained all of that. And yeah. also the the kind of running stuff till it breaks, which is another another part of the privatization and is also just a very treating people like things thing yeah i think the um running something purely for profit as opposed to running it because it's something people needs i think it's something that we've seen a lot with the rail industry as that's been privatized mm. as well yeah and it's it is it's the same it's treating people like things yeah and it, 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 yeah it's, ma- it's making the equipment and the people work until they break and treating them the same and mistreating them the same yes um and I thought it was going to kind of an interesting little tie-in with the golems as well, which he's clearly, as I said, been ruminating on for several yeah. years now. And he's like, "Do you know what? I don't. I didn't like how I decided they were being treated then, and I still don't like it now. And I want to talk more about that. And I want to uh, talk about uh, Mr. Pump had that incredible moment. Stood at the bottom of a hole, hundred feet deep, and pumped water for two hundred and forty years, Mr. Litvig." But now I'm ambulating in the sunlight. This is better, Mr. Lipvig. This is better! Exclamation mark. Yes. Interesting. Punctuation, very important here. Yeah. When you exclamation mark a golem, he said it with vigour. Yeah. You don't want to be vigoured out by a, a large, a large clay, clay for all of us. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it makes me feel a little bit hopeless, Joanna. Did, uh, have you any hope for us? Please, I can try. Please, Joanna, may I have some hope? <laughs> well, no, this is the thing. There is this running theme through this book of of hope and this embracing of life and this embracing of vitality. Mm. And that's the thing. Like, 
just just any kind of life, finding life somewhere. And it's about a fucking post office. Mm. Um, and this is the thing, like, Terry Pratchett was a very angry man, that's established, and we've talked about it, mm-hmm. and it's something Neil Gaiman wrote about really beautifully, and I could, he does have that anger in this, the anger at these corporations, this privatisation, this treating people as things in, but he's also just very passionate. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really sings through right from the beginning. Um, I mean, it's it's a dark opening compared to previous books, you know, mm. um, the guy dying in the second epilogue. You felt the terrible pain. We've had people die early on in books before, but this is very visceral. We're very there with him. And it's yeah. dark and it's quiet and he's alone and he felt the terrible pain in his fingers, heard the scream and dropped like an anchor. Mm-hmm. And it ties that anchor back to the anchor that went past Angamarad, who obviously we'll talk about more next week. Yes. Um, And then you go from there to something quite funny in looking at how people use hope. You have moist chipping away at the wall, and it's explained it's occupational therapy, prevents moping, and offered that greatest tr- of all treasures, which is hope, sir. Thing with feathers. <laughs> and then as Moist kind of thinks back on the cons he's been in, he thinks about how he used people hopes for it. There's this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, before you could sell glasses diamonds, you had to make people want to see diamonds, and that was the trick. Yeah. You changed the way people saw the world and let them see it the way they wanted it to be. Mm. And it's... It's not just that the book is hopeful, but that it's using this idea of how people hope yeah. and how other people treat people who hope, how Vetinari uses it to trick someone, but also, yeah, keep them occupied. Yeah. Um, how Moist has used it in the past compared to how he's kind of thinking, now he's getting hopeful. He's thinking, oh, okay, well, now I'm stuck in this situation. I can make a profit. Yeah, but it's still like by reflex, giving hope to people like through the, you know, you didn't need to deliver the letter or... And uh, buying a pin for Stanley was to his benefit as well, but you know, it was still a or getting a nice the letters for the way of doing back. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a great moment where, as Groat and Stanley are going to sleep after they've read the regulations, and Stanley sort of asks, "Why is it like this?" And it, and the the unbuilt-in question is, "Why are we living like this?" And Groat says, "It's because of hubris or hubris, hubris, and, and hu- hubris is, is the and the new pie and." bloody stupid Johnson yeah. um, I keep I keep accidentally saying Boris Johnson and I'm not trying to be like clever and political oh, bloody stupid Johnson Boris Johnson it's just no no it's just right that's the name we're used to saying yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and hubris is almost the effect of too much hope or too much optimism too much confidence which yeah. I think you and know Chris laughed as he fell exactly yeah. they're not the same thing they're very close cousins and at, after the Grand Trunk meeting Vesinari starts debating the concept of freedom and Vesinari is not a man who needs to hope no uh, Vesinari is a man that is and that means he is able to step back and we mentioned this conversation this is when Drumnot would like uh, fireboxes to be less flimsy but Vesinari wants to think about the difference between preventing a murder as a curtailment of freedom versus no man being truly free because only the mad or the divine could face true freedom yes Vesinari calculates instead of hopes exactly and and you get the occasional miscalculation like with Vimes a couple of times and then oh. you can see him recalculating instead of like feeling hopeless. <laughs> yeah, he didn't punch the wall. No. Yeah. Ooh. Oops. <laughs> Such a good moment. <laughs> but that leads into you know, Vesinari literally gives life at the beginning of the book. He gives Moist. He becomes an angel and gives Moist a second chance, and he is one angel. Many angels. Many angel references through this as well. Oh yeah, it's a really fun theme. And one Especially- angle. <laughs> and at least that. one angle. Yes. 
That's it, because it was in chapter two. It was, uh, there was always an angle. Oh, um, yeah. My, my note is angle, angel. Uh, this was late at night, so that might be nothing. <laughs> well, no, you only get one angel, but there's always an angle. It works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, this vitality, this life coming through the whole thing. Um, uh, that Mr. Pump quote you just mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm ambulating in the sunlight. This is better. Yeah. Literally the page before that, Moist asks Mr. Grote, like, is this any kind of life? Mm. And Grote says, it's better than a death, sir. Mm. Um, and then you have these letters as as stagnating vitality because they're sat there and they're unfulfilled with their purpose. And he delivers one and things change. And the like, you can imagine them as little packets of history. Deliver them and history went one way. But if you drop them in the gap between the floorboards, it went the other. We got the trousers of time back. Mm. And I, lo- I love how he... He he goes through the little bit of well, is there any point in delivering this? Surely it's 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 too late. It's been too long. What's the point? But, but does it anyway? Because you know you you can see something like that being like, oh, it's too late. Leave it. Leave it forever. Leave the yeah. weird haunted writing. But but Nari clearly calculated uh, that Moist would be the one to give yeah. it a go anyway. Yeah. And and part of it's it curiosity. Yeah, he's so used to. Uh, even though he's literally been hanged, he's still used to being able to get away with everything and get out of things. He thinks, I think there's this underlying. What does it matter if delivering the letter goes wrong? I'll be all right. Curiosity is a form of hope, is it not? It Absolutely, is the, the hope that something interesting will happen if we do this. And then you get the bit where Moist actually has to confront things, as it were. This is after he's decided he can make a profit of everything, and then Mister Pump accounts you have killed 2.3 people mm. and gives this accounting of the lives Litvig ended by everything he did these minute ways he caused tiny parts of deaths for people and Moish's first reaction is anger yeah yeah he's furious he wants the golem to rip his own head off and you get that don't you like yeah when someone like criticizes you and hits a fucking nail on the head you get angry well i do there's probably yeah, well, a character flaw um no, I absolutely. Well, if someone like Chris, well, that doesn't mean it's not a character flaw, but if it yeah, is, no, no. it's what I we share. We have quite similar character flaws. Yeah. <laughs> We're definitely unreliable narrators. Put it. How dare you? And this takes me to the end of this section, which is this bit in Tower One Eight One and the message that's being spent. And this is this GNU John Deerhart thing that is being sent across the overhead, and the idea is that this message. Uh, it, stays in the overhead and it's not logged and it turns around at the end and it just stays there it keeps going on and on and obviously that has then become a thing you know for the Pratchett fandom for everyone this idea of GNU is, is a instead of RIP mm-hmm. um, and GNU Terry Pratchett specifically it's, it's been built into all sorts of websites and everything having it's GNU Terry Pratchett in the header yeah it's yeah. an ours I'll link to the um, the website where they have like the detailed instructions of how it can go into any sort of header mm-hmm. and, and how it's all done it's really beautiful that that still exists simplified uh, ripples exactly it, it is it's a follow-on from that um well the, the quote in this is is he'd never have wanted to go home he was a real linesman his name is in the code in the wind in the rigging and the shutters haven't you ever heard the saying a man's not dead while his name is still spoken do you not stand at my grave and weep but it is, it's it's the same, mm. it's the Reaper Man quote, it's the no one is truly dead until the ripples they cause in the world. Mm. Um, it's a weirdly poetic book for one that's so tied into practicality and logistics and a real world organisation, well, obviously not, yeah. not quite a real world organisation, but a very paralleled one. <laughs> and it's um, um, for such yeah. a fun book as well. Yeah, yeah. But, 
then you have this deeply poetic moment in it and obviously it's it's meaningful for everyone and it's very true this idea of this name still being spoken mm. and the fact that Terry Pratchett almost eulogised himself in a single thing there because obviously we do all still speak his name and, and probably will for a very long time mm. and it's this beautiful way to think of this person living on it is although it'd yeah. still you know it'd be nicer if uh, he hadn't randomly fallen to his death I'm now talking about John Tier. Oh, (laughs) Terry Pratchett. Oh, fuck. (laughs) I should have made that clear. (laughs) Bad taste, that man. (laughs) Sorry, right. I tried to end us on a lovely moment and just fucked it up. That was me. I'm sorry. I ruined that. (laughs) I know, but I should have clarified that one. I've seen you wrangled it. (laughs) Have you got an obscure reference finial for me and can you say it? Uh, I do, and then I'm going to go and die of the gnats. Um, <laughs> um, I'll keep speaking And I'm not sure I can. Um, so, obscure reference, Finial. Uh, the game that Vetinari is playing is, uh, as you noted, Thud. Oh, sorry, I shouted that. Clipped it, probably. Thud. Which the long-form name is Snaffle Baffle Sniffle Waffle Taffle. Um, Beautiful. Thank you. Which is based on Taffle games, uh, like Northern European strategy games, and mm-hmm. are characterised by, as yeah, with this one, having two unequal teams, which is very unusual in board mm. games, as I'm sure you know, being a, a board game nerd yourself. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 just lots of interesting ones, and uh, one particular one called Tavlut, which was like indigenous people in uh, in the Nordic regions. And that was in play until around the 18th century, at least. Uh, and Linnaeus wrote down some of the rules. Carl Linnaeus, I like to bring him into everything now. Yeah, love a bit of Linnaeus. And I think you'll find the history of this game particularly interesting because Linnaeus wrote it in Latin, sorry, and somebody translated it into English in 1811 and mm-hmm. the rules have been kind of based on that since but it was a really bad translation and so the rules didn't quite work and so there have been amendments to the rules since then based on this original mistranslation I just thought it, it was an intersection of quite a few of your interests so I'll, uh, I'll send you a link <laughs> Thank you Amazing Yeah Cool I'm getting All excited right. about learning to play third now I'm really looking forward to learning to play third uh, Right, so I think that's everything we can say about part one of Going Postal without this being a three-hour episode. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to go our separate ways and mutter about it on the sofa. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying fripperies. Fripperies! <laughs> Love a frippery. Uh, we will be back next week with part two, which begins where this part ended at the beginning of chapter five and goes through to the end of chapter nine. Cool. Big, big, mid, big midsection. Big midsection. That's also what they call me. Uh, until next week... You can follow us on Instagram at the True Show Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fretboard, on Facebook at the True Show Make You Fret. Join our subreddit community r slash ttsmyf. Email us your thoughts, queries, castles, snacks, and acronyms based on Lanker and Clatch. The True Show Make You Fretboard at gmail.com. If you want to support this bollocks financially, go to patreon.com forward slash True Show Make You Fret. You can exchange your hard earned pennies for all sorts of bonus nonsense. And you can also now join our Discord. There'll be an invite link in the show notes. And until next time, dear listener, don't let us detain you. I'm trying to come up with a line card. <laughs> I'm not even going to fucking try right now. And it's too no, actually, no, Clatch feels like it's going to get... Clatch will be dirty. Water Clatch is implied to be dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Water shod. <laughs> 
water shot. 